Morning, C-Road. How are we doing today? One of my favorite things on a Sunday is to watch this massive lineup of all these little ones trying to get into their classes and their spaces. It's so much fun. And man, I am so thankful that we have a whole bunch of individuals, young and old, that work with our kids on a weekly basis because, man, do they have patience. I got to tell you, like, wow. And if you're like, I don't have patience, you can go work with our kids every week and you can teach you patience if that's what you want in your world. Man, it's so good to be here. We are in the middle of August. If you noticed, the air is starting to shift a little bit. Not in a good way, but it's starting. However, we're excited about so many things. As Chuck told us at the beginning of our service, we are relaunching who we are in September. And if you're, if you're like, what, do you, what does that mean, Jason? Relaunch it. Come on that Sunday and you will understand where we're going and what we're going to be all about in this next part of our future. Here in the summer, we've been talking about, I'll be the judge of that, looking at different characters from the book of Judges and trying to understand what we can from their stories and then incorporate that into our own lives. Because it's really good to learn from people who've gone before you what not to do. Sometimes, though, we still repeat those challenges along the way. I am a leadership junkie. Here's what that means. I am addicted to leadership and learning about leadership, reading about leadership. One of my favorite reads over the past decade has been a book called Who Moved My Cheese? It's a book about how to navigate conflict in leadership organizations and structures. I saw this unfold intentionally when I met Nolan. Nolan was a grade 7 kid in my youth group about a decade ago, so now he's much older than that. He was a grade 7 kid, and we were every kind of three out of four weeks in a month, there would be a cluster of us, teenagers and, and kind of youth leaders, and we would descend on Nolan's house because his parents would open it up to the community. So we would learn together, we'd grow together, we'd have a lot of fun together. Nolan was somebody that you didn't want to move his cheese. Nolan was particular in something called Lego. He was an aficionado in his room. It was like the Taj Mahal to Lego. He loved Star Wars, and he had all these different structures, the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon, uh, Super Star Destroyer, all these things that he had built and spent hours and hours stitching together, like 10,000 pieces of Lego that sounds like torture. But for Nolan, it was life-giving, and he would have them on display in his room. Now, some of the other kids thought it would be interesting and fun to try and move some cheese, so to speak. All these places, all these figures had their spot. And they would once in a while zip up to Nolan's room when he wasn't looking, and they'd rearrange some things. They wouldn't deconstruct. It's painful when we deconstruct. But they would rearrange some things and move the Death Star to where the Millennium Falcon. And sure enough, when Nolan would go into his room, he knew exactly what was wrong or out of place. Nolan wasn't OCD. Some of us maybe have met an OCD person. Some of us maybe have a family member in our actual family we live with that is this way with their refrigerator. Everything has its right place. You know what I'm saying? 
you, you ask, you say like, hey, where's the ketchup? And they're like, the first door on the bottom right-hand side next to the milk. Like, they can give you directions to where something is without being standing right in front of the fridge. Those people are a blessing in our world. They're helpful. Why, why is it that we want to torture them by rearranging their things? I don't know, but it sure is fun. Every one of us can identify with this idea of having everything in its right place. We feel settled when everything is functioning the way it's intended to function. And when chaos is in our world, sometimes we feel untethered, we feel tattered, we feel unraveled, and we don't know what to do. Even when we possess a great ability and gift that God has given us. Today we're going to examine the story of Samson. Now, the story of Samson is so massive in the book of Judges, we're devoting two parts, two weeks to the study of Samson. So we're going to be looking at kind of the first two-thirds of Samson's life here this morning and see what we can learn about being untethered, untattered, having people move our cheese, and what does that mean, or what does that feel like in the moment. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Judges. We're going to start in Judges chapter 13, and then we're going to skip a bunch of chapters and end up into chapter 16 a little bit further on as we learn from Samson. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read the first five verses, then I'm going to jump down to verse 24 and talk a little bit more about Samson. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So, be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Let's zip down to verse 24. Check it out. When her son was born, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir while he lived in Menadan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtol. Okay, Samson, we're introduced to this guy. He is born to parents that have been longing to be parents, wanting desperately to have a child to call their own, Unable up until this point to have children, an angel visited, visits Samson's mom and says, hey, you're going to become pregnant, but this, this kid's going to be special. If you talk to any parent, they believe their kid is going to be special. I once tried to convince Bonnie that we should get a onesie, which is the, the device and the clothing. I call it a device because it's a purpose to the onesie. It keeps everything together where it needs to be, Okay. The device and the clothing that you put on a small little baby. I tried to convince her one time, born to be mediocre. That's what I wanted on the onesie. I was like, come on, let's just celebrate a little bit of mediocrity. Like every parent believes their kid is going to do something amazing. All you need to do 
is go to an, a rink around Brockville and you will meet more than one parent that is convinced that their child will play in the NHL one day, even if they can't skate. <laughs> They're convinced of it. So you need something outside of the ordinary to really claim that my child is going to be an amazing thing. Samson's mom can do that. Samson's mom can do that. She was visited by an angel. Story sounds familiar, right? We're not even talking about Christmas yet. Visited by an angel and told, you're going to become pregnant. You're going to become pregnant, but this child is special. He's going to help start rescuing the nation of Israel from the Philistines. And because of that, I need you to understand he's created for a purpose. He's created for a purpose, and so I'm going to ask that you don't partake in any alcoholic beverages. I'm going to ask that you don't cut his hair, which seems insane, to never have a haircut. My kids tell me when I need a haircut, and then I say, I just got one. They're like, go again. You need a haircut. Created for a purpose. Samson's purpose was to begin the journey of rescuing the nation of Israel once again from tyranny and oppression. After enduring 40 years of oppression from the Philistines, God was going to use Samson. He was created for a purpose. You and I are created for a purpose. Every single one of us. Our purpose at times gets blurred and lost in translation. It gets blurred and lost in our pain. It gets blurred and lost in setbacks or challenges. It gets blurred and lost in lack of resources and misconceptions and misunderstandings and conflict. It gets blurred and lost because somebody moved our cheese. But make no mistake, you and I were created for a purpose. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, and states this in verse 10 of the second chapter, reiterating this idea of purposeful, intentional creation. For we are God's masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are created for a purpose. But sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves and with others, we lose sight of it. We forget about it. We don't know what to do with it. So Samson's born out of this promise. He's born out of this purpose to be set apart and set aside to do amazing things to help rescue the nation of Israel from the tyranny that they're experiencing from the Philistine people. He knows his purpose. He knows his design. He knows his intentionality. He knows that he's set apart for this. And as he follows the rules and the regulations, the boundaries that were spoken into his life by this angel through his parents, something happens. See, Samson is most famous for a gift that he has. As he grows and matures, and, and the text says in verse 25, the spirit of the Lord starts to move in him, he's given incredible physical strength. 
He was one of the characters as a young dude that I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be as strong as Samson one day. Still working on it. Like, I can bench press my, my kids. Like, I try that sometimes. I put them up on, you know, the, the dad rack, which is I just lay down on my back, and I ask them to get onto my hands, and then I try and push them up in the air. It's terrible when they try and all do it at the same time, though. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, but it's fun. It's more fun in the pool because when they land, they land in water than on their head or something. But <laughs> Samson was known for his strength, this gift and this ability that he was given by God to use for a purpose, to start rescuing the nation of Israel from tyranny and oppression. If you continue reading the story of Samson in, in chapters 14 and 15, you'll, you'll read about these incredible things that he once did. There was this like barroom brawl that broke out one day. Philistines were mocking Israelites. Samson happened to be in the area and he picked up a bone, a donkey's jawbone, and he started smacking them with it. I don't know why that's in the Bible, but it's kind of cool. He starts hitting the Philistines with it, and, and he uses his strength to overpower and overwhelm this, this mob. And he ends up taking the lives of 300 individuals, smacking them in the head and various other parts of their anatomy with this jawbone. Using his strength to kind of right-size or even the battle between the oppressed and the oppressor. It's created for a purpose, a design, an intentionality. And he lived into that. The tragic part of the story of Samson, in my opinion, is the loneliness that he experienced along the way. And I think this is important for us to understand because as we emerge from a season where loneliness gripped a lot of us, like, let's get real. The pandemic that we walked through over the last two years was not fun. Even if we're introverted, it still wasn't fun. In very many ways, we, we experienced oppression of some kind, whether that was politically, socially, physically, whatever it was, we experienced a layer of, of uncomfortableness that we weren't previously exposed to. And for many of us, we've lost sight of the purpose, the reason why we were created as a result. We don't know where to go from here or where to rebuild. We have these gifts and these talents that were once present, but now, now they seem almost useless, useless or worthless. We don't know how to put them into practice in some way. For me, Samson starts to fit this mold. I mean, it would be cool as you're growing up and you can do things other kids can't do. Hey, Samson, go lift that tree. Okay. Whoa, that's so cool. Hey, Samson, can you throw this rock into the other country over there? Yeah, okay. Throw a rock into the under. You couldn't even play catch. You imagine playing catch with Samson? Hey, dude, toss me a light one. Like he knocking you over. Imagine trying to, with your strength, pick up a utensil to eat. You have to get used to it because you might be crushing it, holding somebody's hand. Hey, can I hold your hand? I don't want to hold Samson's hand. Like, dude, last time I broke like seven bones. 
Sometimes when we bump up against somebody that has this extraordinary gift and ability, we don't know how to interact with them because we're intimidated or we're over-infatuated by it. I think that's what happens in the life of Samson, and I think it's one that becomes a lot more lonely than maybe we think of. This guy that wasn't supposed to drink any alcohol, the guy that was never supposed to have a haircut. I mean, everybody knew who he was as he's walking around. That's the dude that's sober and doesn't cut his hair. This happens all the time in our communities. We build our relationships based on the things that people can do for us and not on who they are. I call it, I've got a guy for that list. Something breaks in your house. How many of you know an electrician that can come fix an electrical problem? Some of us are like, I ain't putting my hand up because nobody's going to know my guy. We don't want to share. Or a plumber. Right? Plumbing. I've got a guy for that. Ooh, this breaks. I need this. I need that. I know who to call. And in the moment of our need, we reach out and we try to create some sort of community connection because there's something we need in that space, in that time, in that season. But when that task is complete, we don't always pursue relational connection with that person any longer. And as I read the story of Samson, I I see this unfolding time and time again. He rescues a group of people. He rescues some of his his family, his friends even. And they're thankful in the moment, but after that battle has been won, they ghost him. They don't call him again. They don't hang out with him again until they need something. That's called transactional relationship. Transactional relationship. And this is all over in our culture today. All over the place. We want something, we go get it. When we don't want it anymore, we just leave it where it is. This is why people pay for physical intimacy. They want something, they want an exchange, but once that exchange is over, they're done. Transactional relationships. It's born out of a distorted view of our purpose. See, you and I, we are created by God to be a blessing to those around us. In order to be a blessing to somebody, we actually have to be consistently in their lives. When we're not, we're just an aberration of some kind. A manifestation that bubbles up right at the right time and then disappears and walks away. To be a blessing is being willing to enter into that relational void that exists in our own lives and in the lives of other people so that we can be a blessing. And in return, here's the crazy thing, when we seek to be a blessing, we often find that we ourselves become blessed in the moment. One of the things I miss about being a youth pastor is taking a bunch of these teenagers on various excursions across Canada and around the world. Mission trips is what sometimes people would call them or humanitarian relief projects in other cultures and other settings. And when we would take these students to serve the lost, the lonely, the little, the needy, the discouraged, 
It was so amazing to sit back and watch them become filled in their, in their, in their attempts to be a blessing and, and, and filling the needs and the voids in the lives of others. One of my favorite things that ended up bubbling up from these experiences is a cluster of students decided to adopt an old folks home that was near where their group was meeting consistently and they came up with this relational concept called speed data senior. It was amazing. They would show up once, twice a month and have a games night with seniors. And each one of these seniors, if you've ever seen a cafe, cafeteria area in a, in a long-term care residence, they're kind of set up really well. They've got these individual tables and you'd walk in and you'd have one senior present in each table, about 20 of them or so. And these kids would go and pick a table and hang out with a senior and, and hang out there for 10, 15 minutes and then a bell would go and they would move and they would go and hang out with another senior and they'd, and they'd get to know a lot of stories. And for some of the seniors, it was fun because they couldn't remember any of the kids anytime. So it was like meeting new people all of the time. And so they, they were just enthralled like, woohoo, I've met a new person. And, and the teenager would be like, we just like hung out last week. But to see these teenagers become filled in their attempt to be a blessing to other people was just amazing. It's because they, they had a laser focus on what they were created for. If Sea Road Church disappeared tomorrow, stopped meeting, stopped connecting, would Brockville notice? Would Lynn notice? Would Eastern Ontario even recognize that we were gone? If the answer is no, then we've lost sight of our purpose. Like we can, we can engage in our community and do something awesome. We can use our resources or our gift and do something and leverage that for a, a, a momentary purpose of some kind, but unless there is long-standing intentionality to bridge the gap between transactional relationship and authentic relationship, I don't know if it means anything. So you got this guy, Samson, gifted like nobody's business to do amazing things and he's more alone than I think anybody else in the pages of the book of Judges, in my humble opinion. He just wants some people to notice him for more than what he can do. To recognize him for who he is. We're created for a purpose, and that purpose is rooted in relationship, friends. Here's the tragedy of, of Samson's story as it continues to unfold. We're going to pick it up in the 16th chapter starting in verses 4 and 5, and then we're going to look at verses 18 to 21. 16th chapter, verse 4, starts like this. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely, then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. All right, let's pick it up. 
now in verses 18 to 21. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me a secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. And she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke, he thought, I will do before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. So there's a gap there between we first we meet this, this woman named Delilah and, and kind of the, uh, the crescendo moment of the relationship that we read in just verses 18 through 21. So let me try and bridge those gaps a little bit for us. In his loneliness, in his dismay, in his, in his longing for relationship, good old Samson finds love. Love isn't a bad thing, but when we love the wrong thing, then it's a challenge. If you talk to somebody who struggles with addiction, oftentimes they love and hate the thing that they are addicted to. It gives them a sense of reprieve, a sense of belonging, a sense of connection, a sense of distance. And so there's this tension because we're created for a purpose and part of that purpose is to love. But when we fall in love with the wrong thing, we can become a slave. See, we're created for a purpose, but we can settle for being a slave far more quickly than we ever think is possible. And that's the evolution here of Samson's story. He's created to be this rescuer, this beacon of hope for the community. And in his isolation and loneliness, instead, he reaches out for some sort of connection, finds it in a source that isn't life-giving, isn't there to support him, is again, just using him for whatever he can do. And he starts giving himself away to the wrong thing and the wrong person. He meets this Delilah, falls in love, and she, of course, is trying to figure out what's the secret of his strength. Because she's offered a whole bunch of money to rat him out. And between verses 4 and 5 and verses 18 to 21, you can see a, a series of conversations that they have where she's trying to figure out the source of his strength, and he, he, does, he lies. He says, well, if they tie me up with these kinds of you know, ropes, I won't be able to do this. Or if they use these knots or this, that, or the other, I won't be strong anymore. And every time, every time they come to like, beat him up, take him out, whatever, he breaks free from the bondage that he's in the moment and pursues freedom and puts the Philistines in the right place once again. But Delilah's shrewd, and she's saying, listen, you do not love me if you're not going to tell me the truth. How many of us have ever used that line before? If you really love me, here's what we play around the Frizzell family table. Ever played the game, if you really love me, would you please, please smile? 
No, nobody's ever played that game. Okay, try it later today. What you do is you look a person in the face, stonewall them, and you, the, the goal is to try not to smile. Paxton's the worst at this. Okay, he's our six-year-old. When you're like, Paxton, if you love me, please don't smile. He's like, I, I love you, so I'm just going to smile. He like ruins the game. He's like, there, now I can go back to doing what I want to do. Cannon, Cannon is the most challenging, and so everybody tries to get him. And every time his mom says, Cannon, if you love me, and he can't hold his stoic face because he loves his mom. And she loves him. Delilah uses that story, uses this moment, uses this love tension, this infatuation that Samson has with her and tries to get the truth. She finally does. And she uses that truth to betray him. See, here's what happens when we settle for being a slave. We give into our lust. Now, lust is usually a word that we associate with some sort of physical attraction to somebody, but it's much more than that. Lust is putting anything else in the epitome of our pursuit, the epitome of our purpose outside of God. If it's power, if it's prominence, if it's money, if it's experiences, adventure, whatever it is, that is an expression of lust. If anything else captivates your heart, your mind, your attention outside of Jesus as a follower of Christ, you are a slave to lust. You could be a slave to lust for a moment. You can be a slave to lust for a lifetime. And the thing is, whatever, whatever the focal point of our lust is, will always take whatever we give it. It's exactly what's happening here with Samson and Delilah. Whatever he is giving to her, she consumes it, and it's not enough. She wants more. She wants more. She wants more. And she finally gets what she wants, the truth, the source of Samson's strength. See, sometime, somewhere along the line, he actually divulged the reason why he never had a haircut. It was a symbol of his strength. So when his hair gets cut off, his strength is lost, God abandons him, so to speak, in the moment. And he's overtaken by his enemies. When we settle for being a slave, that's exactly the experience of life that we will get. Slavery. And I know that's a loaded word because if you look through human history, there's various expressions of slavery. The slave trade from the African nations into the Caribbean, into North America, it's devastating. What we as Canadians did to our indigenous communities, devastating. That's an expression of slavery. If you look at the human trafficking industry right now, and yes, it's an industry because people profit off this, it is an expression of slavery. Where one group of people suffers at the hands of another. That's exactly what happens when we let our lust consume us. We suffer at the hands of whatever is the focal point of our lust. Other people, things, possessions, money, whatever. We seek to serve that one thing. It becomes an idol that completely captivates us. 
and the full expression of that captivation and whatever idol it is, is utter destruction. It's exactly what happens in the life of Samson. He gives up the truth. His head is shaved. He's taken captive by the people that he was called out to stand against and loses his eyesight as a result. This strong guy is now broken and bruised and beat up and discarded. Because he lost sight of his purpose. And he settled for being a slave. See, strength is not enough in and of itself to rescue us from our situations. We need to marry whatever gifts God has given us, abilities and talents, alongside with his presence so that we never lose sight of what's actually important. I used to for years think that strength is all about somebody's physical ability to do something. But when I look at the life of Jesus, I I see a completely different expression of what the definition of strength actually is. Strength is self-control. Think about it for a moment. Neither of us, none of us, have ever been fully God and fully human at the same time. So we do not know what it's like to walk around with omnipotence, all-powerful nature in human form, and, and not access that consistently. Think about it. We think Samson was incredible. Jesus could do that much that he did and so much more, and yet chose physical self-control restraint so that he could show us the way that a human life was intended to be lived. Selflessly, intentionally, seeking to be a blessing and in return becoming blessed as a result of your compassionate care for others. Loving God and loving other people. At any moment, at any time, he could have said, I had enough. I don't want this anymore. And he could have transcended back to heaven and not had to go through the pain and the hardship and the toil of what death on a cross would have meant. But because he did not, he is the epitome of what strength actually is. Self-control. If there's one gift I would pray into our culture today, it would be self-control. Self-control would help us put our spending habits in check. It would help us resist the temptation of what transactional relationship is all about. It would help us right-size our perspectives and keep our purpose at the center of our mindset consistently. Because self-control is a reminder that the world does not revolve around us. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. I was the worst at this as a parent. Bonnie always heckles me and says, why do you always want to like crush our kids when you play sports with them? I'm like, because they got to learn. They got to learn their place in this world and their place in this family. Doesn't work so well anymore though. That's the problem. Self-control, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. 
Just because you can ignore your neighbor doesn't mean you should. Just because you can participate in gossip and slander of your coworkers doesn't mean you should. Just because you can throw $1,000 away on lottery tickets doesn't mean you should. Just because you can go into massive debt because you've been pre-approved for this doesn't mean you should. Self-control. Samson had this quality missing in his world because I think, again, he did not have a consistent community of people around him who had his best interests at heart in the way that they loved him. Delilah loved him because she was going to get rich. You and I, when we think about the lives we live and the communities that we are now recreating along the way, are they steeped in purpose that's saturated in the presence of Jesus? Or are we settling for life as slaves? My hope, my prayer for you and for me is that we would be increasingly more adept at recognizing when idols bubble up in our world, when our lust distracts us, that we would call it out and that we would have a group of people around us who would help us journey forward into what life truly is all about. So in one month from now, you're going to hear a big push from me, from this stage, into community. Groups of all kinds, all shapes, all sizes. Our hope, our expectation, our dream is that every single sea rotor would be connected to some sort of Jesus incarnate community of some kind for the purpose of discipling one another to become more like Jesus. That's our dream. That's our hope. That's our desire. So for the next month, you can pray. Because maybe God's asking you to play a role in that adventure that you haven't yet done. Maybe it's putting your hand up and saying, you know what? I don't want to be Samson. Yeah, I might look like I have it all together. I might look like I've got strength. I might look like I've got all these experiences, yada, 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 etc. But I need people because I am lonely. And I don't want my loneliness to overwhelm me to the point where the lust looks more enticing than it should Maybe it's about that. Maybe you are at a point where you can create a community and facilitate a community in that way of some kind. Chuck's here. Pastor Chuck is here to help us on this adventure and this journey forward. So if you're like, maybe, maybe, I, can, maybe I can do something. Talk to him. Have a conversation. Let's get ready. We need to be transformed by the presence of God active in us and in one another so that we don't end up like Samson, broken and bruised and beat up, and we've lost our ability to see. Your pain can be a catalyst for community, and so can your gifts. But without that community, you can be isolated in either one of them. And isolation is our greatest enemy in this season. 
I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Jesus to move and solidify in us, our hearts and our minds, whatever it is that he wants to land in us. And I'm going to pray that we wouldn't resist what he is asking us and inviting us into. Because, yes, there's a cost to pursue authentic relationship, but there's a cost to not pursue it either. Which price are we willing to pay? That's the question. Let me pray. Father, in these next few moments, as we get ready to become a more increasingly Jesus-centered community to the best of our ability over the coming weeks and months and years ahead, Father, would you grant us the ability to quickly recognize when we've moved away from the purpose that we've been created for and we've become consumed by whatever lustful intentions exist inside of us. Would you allow us the ability to, to recognize that and also the ability to call out for help, not only to you, but to a group of people around us to help us forward. For some of us, it's an addiction to pornography. For some of us, it's an addiction to work. For some of us, it's unhealthy boundaries and relationships. For others of us, it might be unhealthy spending habits financially. All of these things can distract us and and cause us to deviate from your plan and your purpose in our lives. And and for for the sake of today and for the sake of tomorrow, Father, I just want to stand up and say, that's enough. It's enough. In my brokenness, in my recognition of my gaps, Father, would you not only fill them with your presence, but fill them with the pieces of community that each one of us crave and need and desire so that we can more and more reflect who you are, Jesus, to the people in our lives, those that we live with, those that we work with, those that we recreate with. Because without you, life is chaos. Life has no meaning or purpose. It's a distorted expression of abundance that you and only you can promise and gift to us. Father, I pray for an increased sense of courage over these next four weeks or so as we get ready as a church family and community to welcome those in, previously marginalized, previously sidelined, purposefully or unintentionally or unintentionally, into a greater sense of community and connectedness with you and with one another. In Jesus' name, we pray for greater things than we could ask or imagine when it comes to this. I dream and I see a community built and rooted in hope that flourishes despite winds and rains and challenges along the way. One that is rooted in being steadfast and certain in you. May it be so, Father, for the sake of your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name.